Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to your post-game Orange and Brown Talk podcast. The Browns losers in Detroit to the Buffalo Bills. Doug Maurice along with Mary Kay Cabot. We're going to knock out about 10 good minutes with Mary Kay. And then we will be joined by Dan Lobby, Irie Harris, and Ashley Bastock. But Mary Kay, first of all, it feels like we've been down this road before. Is there something about the football, the way the game evolved against the Bills, that merits must discuss much discussion, or is this kind of like the Brown script at this point? Get up, then do nothing offensively. The defense eventually blows it, makes some special team mistakes, and here we are, and the Browns lost. I'm not even sure. Like <laughs> you're there, what stood out about the football in your mind on Sunday? Well, you know, part of it is that you know they got off to a decent start. Obviously, uh, they scored again on the first drive. They were up 10 to three early in the second quarter and then things start to unravel. And that's been a common theme. They have been blowing it and blowing opportunities at the end of halves, giving the opponent the opportunity to double dip, to come in and score at the end of the first half and to go and score again on the first possession of the third quarter. And then the game just gets away from them when they get behind like that. Teams can tee off on them a little bit. Uh, then they can stack the box. They can just do kind of what they want to do. And that is exactly what happened. They can take, they can start running the ball on them like crazy. And that happened again. So, yeah. So, no, it's just a Browns game. It's just, oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, was it, oh, was it the Browns played? Oh, did they score on the first drive and then literally do nothing after that? Did they get run on defensively? Did they blow a couple coverages? Did they screw up on special teams? Yes, it was a Browns game. So then, Mary Kay, let me ask you this, because I'm curious about this. There's two things I'm very curious about with the team right now. We've talked about Anthony Walker Jr., and that's important, but it, it can't just be about him. Who, who is the emotional leader of this team? Who is the player that stands up and says enough is enough? Who is the player that rallies the troops on the sideline? Who is the player that makes a play, that changes momentum, that guys turn to one another game is starting to get away from them. Do they have those guys who stand up and say enough is enough, or are they lacking those guys? Well, I think they have some of those guys. I think that Miles Garrett is one of those guys to a degree. I think that John Johnson three is one of those guys. I think they really try to do it, but I think the the problem is that they are deficient in certain areas and you can be a great leader all you want, but if you don't have the horses to stop the run and you don't have what it takes to stop the run, 
then all the uh, cheerleading in the world and all the leadership in the world isn't going to make it happen. I think they left themselves short in some areas. I think that there are some issues with personnel. I think we're starting to hear little rumblings from players about um, about the scheme. I mean, I, I think that it's pretty obvious that, uh, you know, that the players are kind of trying to hint around uh, that there are issues with the scheme. Now, is that finger pointing? Is it accurate? You know, I, I think it's a little bit of everything. I really do. And Miles hit the nail on the head today with the fact that they don't take the ball away. They don't take it away. When you don't take the ball away, I mean, they have eight takeaways this whole entire season tied for third fewest in the NFL. When you're not helping from that standpoint, you're really kind of putting your your offense behind the eight ball. So takeaways are somewhat random, but I do think if you are going to force them, you're either going to force them with getting after the quarterback, right? Either with a four-man pressure or with some blitzes and you attack the quarterback and you tip passes or you get strip sacks, that kind of thing. Or you disguise some coverages. You have guys lurking that the quarterback doesn't see. You play some off coverages and let guys break on the ball and make plays. Is that what we're talking about? With the, Is this a Joe Woods scheme that does not create confusion for opposing offenses and does not create opportunities for defensive players to be aggressive and go get the ball. You know, these are all things that, um, you know, that we're going to find out as time goes on. I think it's, I think it is a little bit of everything. And I think this is trending towards Joe Woods not being here for the long haul. Okay. I mean, that's where this is going. I really don't think he's going to survive after the season. Now, will they do anything in season? I don't think so. But if they think they need to do that uh, to change things up and to give them a spark and to get some energy and some life in this defense, then, you know, then maybe they would consider it. Maybe that way they get a jump on what they want to do next. Um, You know, I, I think the players are trying to say that they, you know, in some way, shape or form, they're throwing out little lifelines and saying, you know, help us. There's something's not right here. So that's important. We've talked about that around that Mary Kay for several weeks now. Did something Sunday, either in what you saw or in what you heard or felt from the locker room, shift your perspective on that at all? Did it push you a little further that direction or just, is this where you were getting anyway? You know what? I think we, we've all been trending in this direction. Um, but once it keeps happening, okay, this was the third time in the last four weeks that they have given up 160 yards or more rushing, okay? Um, and obviously, the, the run defense is a huge reason why they can't win games. Uh, in the five games that they've given up 160 yards or more, they've lost all five of those games, uh, so it's the combination of the turnovers and, and the run defense. Uh, but I think we're starting to hear enough now from players taking things, taking matters into their own hand, watching film on their own, uh, little things that they're starting to say about, um, you know, and some of it, you, you have to make sure that it's in context, but players talking about, you know, you got to know what you're doing, um, or, you know, you got to be, you know, your run fits have to be sound and all that kind of stuff. It's really hard to pinpoint exactly 
what the problems are specifically, but it really does seem like um, there is a general overarching vibe now that that Joe Woods is not doing with this talent on defense what needs to be done. What was the you got to know what you're doing conversation that happened post game? Was that was that related specifically like to the blown coverage on the Stefan Diggs touchdown at the end of the first half? Was it a general vibe? That, was that a phrase that came up? You know what? I I was in the, you know, the uh, podium room, the, the yeah. post game media interview room where Grant did not come in there. So I did not actually hear Grant say that. So I don't, I don't have the context for that. I've only seen like a clip of it on Twitter. Yep. So I, and I don't like to take things out of context for players. So I don't know, like they're kind of talking in circles a little bit. Like even when Miles was talking about the takeaways in practice you know, it's almost like they dip their toe in the Joe Woods water and then they get back out. OK, and that seems like what's been happening. Uh, they it's like they want to say something, but they don't want to publicly criticize their defensive coordinator. Miles tried that last year. He got, you know, a, le- a lecture from Kevin Stefanski about that. They don't want to see that from their leaders. They want to keep their dirty laundry in house. But little things that we're hearing from players lead me to believe, and I'm sure that the other three will tell you the same thing when they come on, that all these little whispers and these little rumblings and these little phrases all seem to be adding up to them saying some version of the same thing, that that we're not getting coached the way we need to. We don't have the scheme that we want. You know, it's just not going the way that it's supposed to go from a coaching standpoint and I think they always add in an execution standpoint but it goes hand in hand and they do seem to believe that that there are coaching deficiencies okay so I mean and we can all see it if you have eyeballs you can see the deficiencies with scheme with the way these guys are are executing or not executing things again it's like the whole the story of the first half was the Bills Stefan Diggs did nothing he was getting mad on the sideline that he hadn't had a catch and then it's like oh look their best receiver is doesn't have a guy within six yards of him in the back of the end zone. And look how happy he is now. And it's like, how does that happen when we are this far into the season? I, I just want to ask you this one last thing about this idea, though, Mary Kay. Yes, it's the football. It's the football. It's the football. It's the execution. It's the scheme. It's the making plays. It's the having the right personnel. But do, does this team have grit? Does this team fight back? Does this team prevent things from snowballing? I just, from afar, I watch sometimes and I wonder, like, would there be other teams where there's a guy walking up and down the sideline or, or, and I know you, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was the shouting in the locker room after the game. I mean, it's not that they don't care, but it just feels like just some of their best players just feel like. They're a little bit more of laid back guys, right? That Denzel Ward or Nick Chubb and even Miles is kind of a, that leader, but he's not a off. He's not like a in your face type guy. Like, do they do they lack? And it's not necessarily a criticism of any individual player. I just don't know who the guy would be right now that this team would rally around. That this guy would say, "Hey." This isn't good enough. Call like, do they have that? 
you know what, you know, maybe they don't have that. Maybe they don't. I don't know that every good defense does necessarily have that. If you, if you have really good talent across the board and you play really good team defense and you're not getting uh, your tails whipped for 160 yards every game on the ground, uh, you know, maybe you don't necessarily have to have that fire. Really, maybe maybe you don't have to have Ray Lewis. Uh, but I do think there might be something to be said for the fact that you know maybe this team does need a kick in the pants and they're not getting it. Um, I do know that they've got vocal leaders again, like a JJ three. I know Miles tries to be vocal, even though it's kind of out of his comfort zone uh, to do that and be super vocal like that. Um, so yeah, I you know they don't necessarily have that enforcer kind of guy that you're talking about. Um, but, you know, they, they do have guys with, with good leadership skills and qualities. Um, but when you're going bad like this, uh, you know, I, I think it's just, it's, it's hard to, to figure out exactly what the root of the problem is. Okay. We'll let Mary Kay go. She has uh, 17 stories to finish before she's allowed to leave Detroit. Maybe there's another snowstorm coming, Mary. Can be able to let you write only 15 stories after this game. When we come back on the Orange and Brown Talk pad, uh, podcast, Dan Lobby, Ari Harris, Ashley Bastock, they will join. We'll do that next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, back with Dan and Ashley and Irie. Dan, you heard me kind of what I was getting at with the players with Mary Kay. Because, again, the football, I don't want to just say I'm bored by the football, but it's like, oh, I mean, again, like the football is the football. It's bad. Do, do you think they're lacking something? And, and, and here's the thing. Typically in the NFL, right, on great teams, like your quarterback's that guy, right? Well, they're in this weird transition of quarterback from Jacoby Brissett to Deshaun Watson. Jacoby can't really be that guy. and. Deshaun is coming in under such odd circumstances. It feels like maybe the players, you know, that's not as big of a deal to them as it is to the public. Maybe that'll be fine and he'll become the leader of this team and and the quarterback will be the kick in the pants guy. It feels like to me like they don't have a kick in the pants head coach. So I don't know who the kick in the pants guy is for a team, Dan, that feels like, I don't know, they could maybe use two or three kicks, maybe in their pants and their shirts. And their cravats, like they should be kicked in every article of clothing they have because they keep losing the same way every week. Am I am I driving down a road that there's no point to? I'm just going to wind up in the desert by myself. Or is there anything to this, Dan? I, I think there's probably something to it, something to having a guy that can kind of wake you up a little bit. Or like like you were saying with Mary Kay, you know, Stefan Diggs was going up and down the sideline, like high-fiving his entire offense at, at one point while they were kind of scuffling and you know yeah there aren't a lot of guys who necessarily that's that's just not their style it's not necessarily in their dna uh, to be that type of guy and and i do think they could probably use that from somewhere I, i don't know where it comes from i do think on the offensive side i think deshaun watson will eventually be that guy i think he started to embrace that role the minute he got here taking guys to the bahamas and and really embracing that leadership role but He's suspended. He can't play. He can't really do that right now. And 
the Browns have sort of created this situation where everybody's just sort of sitting around waiting for Deshaun to come back. So how can Jacoby do that? I, I do think there there could be some sort of a leadership void here. I think Miles has grown in that role, but I don't know if he's all the way there yet. Ashley, does this need does this team need a kick in the pants? Not that that solves everything, but could they use it anyway? Yeah, I mean, and like you're saying, Doug, I think my hunch is that Deshaun Watson is going to come in and be that. Like, you just kind of see how guys have gravitated towards him. And and obviously this is, I think they look at this differently than the rest of the world looks. So that may sound weird to you, given what Deshaun Watson is accused of, if you are a listener or, or just aware of the sexual misconduct allegations against him. But it's it's really hard to explain until you see it in person. So I think maybe there is some of that that is going to come when he can actually be on the field and be around them more and the way guys listen to him. But I kind of do agree with you. Like, it does feel like they are missing something in in that regard. And I don't know if it would help. I mean, we kind of know how, you know, hard, you know, I can't say the word coaches. That's a three letter word. Can, can be perceived in the NFL, right? Like, I think a prime example is look at a guy like Greg Williams and look at how players, like, didn't really like playing for him and it maybe wasn't the most effective uh, way to get things out of players. And I think that's fair, too. You know, it's it's a tough balance in this league. And like Dan said, I think Miles Garrett maybe has some parts of that. And I think we do see that occasionally, but it's not all the way there yet. I do think some of that is Miles had to grow up really fast and become a contributor really fast in this league. And obviously he's a number one overall pick. That's what you want. But I do think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that these guys are in their, a lot of them are in their mid to early twenties. And, but I do think they are kind of missing something with that energy a little bit that they could use more of maybe right now, because Hey, why not try everything? You're three and seven. And it's not, that anyone thinks it's acceptable. I'm, I'm not saying they don't care. I'm not saying they're soft or anything. I just, I just think there would be other circumstances where, where there would be some guys and special guys. I'm not saying that these guys grow on trees, right? But just certain types of leaders who would be doing something right now that it feels like is not being done with the Browns. And again, they are in a weird spot. All right, let's talk a little bit about the football. I read, it, it is almost comical at this point of the way the Browns come out on the script and look good offensively. And it doesn't matter at all. Why do you think it is so stark, Irie? And this was about as stark as it got. That again, they lit up a little bit at the end with two garbage time touchdowns that just to make sure, let's make sure that nobody gives two hoots about those. If that's like, oh, well, you know, it's like they were dead. And the Bills were like, ah, take these two touchdowns. We blew you out. It's like when Rutgers scores against Ohio State's backup. Nobody thinks Rutgers is good, all right? That's, yes, that's the Browns are in Rutgers territory now. But I read it's so good early, and then it vanishes. Do you just shake your head at this point? How do you try to wrap your head around it? I don't, you know what, Doug? I don't know if there really is a way to wrap your head around it because they are terrific when started. Again, they know exactly how they want to start it off. But it, it's almost as if... And this is just going on within my head. I remember thinking some of this prior on during the preseason where Stefanski being the 
coined, you know, quote unquote, offensive genius that we know him to be. Some some have said maybe he'd be a better coordinator than head coach. It's almost as if he has this set game plan and he expects it all to go a certain way, to go this way and that way. And that's why at times, I mean, we've barely even seen any emotion from him. He's kind of kind of just like a stone cone robot in a sense, just waiting for this play and this series to go the way that he set it up in his head. And that's how it usually would come out terrifically in the opening uh, script. But then after that, it really doesn't matter. It's really the third quarter where it, I've, I've, I think it has become a consistent narrative. Yeah, not even narrative, a consistent theme of it being like the turning point for this team. No matter how, especially the defense, no matter how they do in the first half, the third quarter has been the consistent time where there's a turning point. You go back to Miami, they were it was still a game. They were only down 17-7, and then they allowed Dolphins to score 13 points. Whereas in New England, they're down 10-6, and then they allowed New England to score two touchdowns in the third quarter. It's between the opening script and the third quarter to where there's a bleak inconsistency and somewhere in between the guys are just kind of wondering, all right, how do we mess this up now? How do we, what, what, what will be the, the exact play that becomes our downfall in a sense? It, it's almost mental at this point for them. Like they're expecting it to happen. How much of an indictment do you think that is Dan on, on Kevin Stefanski and this offense generally that on script early, it can look so good. And then it just is, you know, an inopportune penalty, inopportune turnover, go forward on fourth down and go and don't get it. But it is really a stark contrast at this point. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, success on the opening script is a good reflection on the play caller and a good reflection on on the week of work that you put in. Uh, But you can't just do the opening script. Like Amari Cooper joked after the game, and maybe we should script out 30 plays. I I forget exactly what he said. He said, maybe we should do a first 30 instead of a first 15. And it, it does feel like, I think Irene makes a good point. Sometimes Kevin has this idea of how he wants things to go. And when they don't go that way, the offense kind of gets lost. And maybe some of that gets fixed when it's Deshaun Watson as your quarterback and not Jacoby Brissett. But even today, Brissett made some plays on third and long. I mean, on the opening drive, he, he converted two third and 11s. I thought Brissett played really well today. So I, I don't know how much Deshaun fixes that. The quarterback sneaks, the back-to-back quarterback sneaks were very like, it just felt like Kevin decided we're going to sneak this because it always works when we sneak it. And then it didn't work when they when they snuck it. And that, that was just kind of it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, there's just, he gets in situations where things aren't quite right. And it feels like maybe the adjustments aren't being made or he's just not quite, he doesn't push the right button. I feel like if we ever had a roast of Kevin Stefanski, which would be a fun offseason topic, Dan, if you want to try to set that up, that the back-to-back quarterback sneaks would be one of the lead things that you would show. That, yeah, Kevin, oh, Kevin loves a quarterback sneak. He loves it so much. He tried it twice with a backup center, with a third-string center from Finland. Did he not know? Like that is, is it? I know they have other good offensive line people. Ashley, did he forget that his that his center would play? So what did he forget? I laughed when you quote tweeted me because, like, on those two missed sneaks, I tweeted, "Man, do they miss Ethan Posick?" Like, it just was so 
obvious. I mean, I mean, maybe he did. And I don't know if we want to have the offensive line conversation now. Are you giving me an opening, Doug? Because I do want to talk Go. about Go, Ethan Posick. I do mean, it. it was that loss. I, I think, and I wrote this in my story. It's up on my Twitter now. It's up at cleveland.com now. I think center, and I think we can maybe all agree on this, is like the most underappreciated position in, in maybe the entire NFL. I think most fans like don't really watch their center uh, and don't really notice what they do until that person is no longer there and you are replaced by somebody who is not quite as good. And this is not a knock on Yelda Froholt. Like this, I they're like in their plan D and E options right now. We're so far deep into the plan that do you know what the plan would be if something happened to Yelda Froholt, Doug? Do you want to guess what the plan would be? Deshaun Watson plays center and Jacoby Brissett remains the quarterback. <laughs> no, it's not quite that crazy, but it is making Joel Betonio, who has not played center since he was a freshman in high school, play center, which like Joel Betonio is a very good offensive lineman. Like I'm pretty confident it would take him a few plays and he could figure it out, but still like not what you want to hear if you're Joel Betonio. So Ethan Posick, like the thing about him is he has quietly put together one of the best seasons not just on this team, but in the entire NFL among all centers, um, among all of those guys with the minimum snap counts on, he has the second highest offensive grade at 83. He has the best run blocking grade of any center at 84.4. And what's so interesting about him and why he's been like so effective is he has this really unconventional size for a center. He's 6'6", but he can get out there and pool with Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. And you just saw that all evaporate. You saw it on the quarterback sneaks. You saw it on when Yelta Froholt gets called for that false start penalty towards the end of the half that gives allows the Bills to get the ball back, score the go-ahead touchdown. You saw it, obviously, on the botch snap where something happened on the handoff. And again, this is a position, I think, that you don't notice until things are going wrong. And, like, Yelta Froholt has played pretty good this year in his role when they've needed him, filling in for Wyatt Teller going in on those heavy offensive sets. But this was asking a lot. It put him in a really unfair position. It put the offensive line in an unfair position. Of course, he stepped up and did it. But, like, you saw how much that absence affected this offense, I think. And, and yeah, maybe Kevin Stefanski should have thought about calling it differently, considering how well Ethan Postich has been doing. And then now you're you're asking Yelda Froholt to, like, now snap the ball for you, too? That's a lot. That's a lot. I get worried about self-driving cars. I don't think I want to ride in a self-driving car because I don't trust the robot, no matter how good the programming is. It's like, what if something happens and the car is driving itself and something unexpected happens? And I know it's programmed to still like do the right thing, but I sort of feel like Kevin Stefanski is a self-driving car. And it's like, it's programmed like, ah, this third and one, fourth and one, run a sneak, those always work. And it's like, uh... Your center's hurt, and the the self-driving car is like, what? The center is hurt, and drives into a ravine, Dan. And, like, the idea, I just thought that was such, I don't know if it was stubbornness. I don't know if I'm overstating how important the center is in that moment. But I thought back-to-back like that on a thing that has always worked. And, again, you can go to the analytics whatever and say, oh, well, it always works. It's like, yeah, I know, but you have a center who's never played center, really. I just, I thought that was so descriptive to me of like the fault of Kevin Stefanski, it was an encapsulation of it that maybe it should work, but it didn't work. 
And we kind of know why it didn't work. And maybe you as the boss should also know why it's maybe not going to work. I don't know, man. Like that's going to stick with me for a while. I think a lot of people listening aren't going to get over that either. It it was a strange. I mean, we've talked about Jacoby how automatic those sneaks have felt this year. And I thought against Miami, Kevin did something interesting when he took he took a shot on a third and one. I think it was. I, I can't remember exactly when it was. Took a, a deep shot on a third and one, missed it, knowing he was going to sneak it on fourth down and and be able to pick it up. Right, but that's. That's like good play sequencing, right? That's saying, I'm, I know what I'm going to do on fourth down if this doesn't work. We're going to roll the dice and sneak Jacoby because that's got a high percentage and my starting center is playing and not hurt. That's good play sequencing. Today, it was back-to-back sneaks and it was kind of like, I, I was just really uninspiring. And maybe there's a world where one works and like we're not, we're not obsessing over this and talking about it. But I don't know, could you have thrown a screen pass? I mean, there's there's more to do there than just turn and hand the ball off to Nick Chubb, which I think some other people maybe wanted them to do. But in that third and one, in that fourth and one, there's got to be something you can dial up to just be a little more creative than we're going to have Jacoby run behind Yelda Froholt. Um, it, it's like I, I, the self-driving car thing is interesting. I think that really fits sort of what we've seen from Kevin this year. And sometimes it, it's why this team feels like such a front-running team. Like when it's going good and they build a lead, man, they look great. And Kevin looks like the best play caller we've ever seen. Well, that's a little extreme, but Kevin looks like a great play caller. And then a game like this, when it just bogs down and they can't figure it out and Buffalo's down some guys, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't matter. He just, he can't quite find a way to get the offense untracked when he needs to. Irie, where are you with Kevin Stefanski as a play caller? Cause again, the, He's not terrible. I mean, he, he certainly has some skill, and he certainly has an, an idea of what he wants to do. He has a philosophy. We know, all know what that is, you know, six tight ends or whatever. But, like, where are you right now, Irie, in the, in the execution of, of Kevin Stefanski for a full 60-minute game? What's your level of faith in that? My faith is not as high as I would have liked it to be. But as you pointed out, He's not a, a terrible play caller. He's not just going out there and just calling circus type plays. Well, aside from the you know trick play with Amari Cooper throwing that pass during the Cincinnati game, but I digress. But aside from that, I mean, he's not calling crazy plays that they just think, "What are you doing at that part?" But then when it comes to certain time, I, I believe it's really the timing for how for when he calls certain plays, such as the QB sneaks, or even with them the involvement of certain guys. Uh, you know, regarding Nick Chubb and maybe getting double-digit carries or Bailey just getting over there, even when it comes to, to the pass catchers. Now, we know Njoku is coming back from, from an injury, but then just going back to Amari Cooper, 12 targets, 8 catches, under 13 receiving yards, 2 of your 3 uh, touchdowns. And just putting aside the fact that he's a four-time Pro, Pro Bowl receiver, why is it every other game that he's not getting that many targets? Why is it every other game where he's getting below six targets? When he does that, it, it, it does, doesn't help out the offense at all. So it's not even so much more the type of plays it is. It's more so the timing and the involvement of certain guys at certain times that, that, that gives me a headache and strikes me thinking, what are you doing? Because 
you can't expect a guy to just suddenly get hot and involved from when you didn't even give him a chance to warm up at least in a bit. That's why when we talk about his opening his opening script, usually we look at who he involves. Earlier in the season, it was usually one of the tight ends. Now it was more so, you know, a receiver, maybe it's like Cooper, and a little bit more runs from Chubb. It's, it's always on one end or the other, but my faith is not fully there when it comes to, 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 um, to Stefanski. He can give you about a good 40, maybe 45 minutes, but the rest of that after – I, I can't call it. Okay, so you know, Kev, Kev's doing, uh, Kev's trying, Kev's doing the best he can. But I have one other overarching question that I want to ask you guys about this team, and we'll do that next on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Douglas Maurice with Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock, Irie Harris, Mary Kay Cabot is off writing away. You guys can read all the great stuff that everybody is writing about these Cleveland Browns at cleveland.com slash browns you can be an insider and get all the extra stuff go to cleveland.com slash browns click on the uh the blue banner and you can sign up and get all that stuff i think and and i've been trying to figure out how to phrase this since the game ended and i think i'm just going to say it i think this is a poorly coached team like blanket and i was gonna like give a caveat and say they play like a poorly coached team but I think if you play like a poorly coached team, you're poorly coached. It's like, well, you can say, well, it's not the coach's fault. It's like, well, if the players play poorly coached, then I think it is the coach's fault in some way. And what I mean by that, Ashley, is special teams makes gigantic mistakes every game. I would like to find the person who is here to defend Mike Prefer. Whatever it is, letting returns out, getting field goals blocked. I mean, there's just a level of incompetence beyond Jerome Ford where they just they just mess up on the details every game and it's something different and it's just it it's inexcusable the defense there's a gaping hole in this defense with its lack of ability to stop the run which is partly personnel based but also partly something else it's there every game and then also actually they blow coverages hey they blew a coverage nobody was surprised maybe they hadn't blown any for a couple weeks but who was shocked nobody because it's part of what they do poor coaching and then offensively they start out hot, and then they can't figure it out. And it's not consistent. They used Amari Cooper great on Sunday. But then you feel like, ah, oh, Chubb didn't really get his thing. And in the end, like it's whatever it is, they're losing games. So you can show me all the efficiency numbers for the offense or whatever. Like they're not scoring enough points to win. And I don't think the, Kevin Stefanski is doing anything to get this offense over the top. And then from a leadership standpoint, we're asking who's going to be kicking people in the pants. I don't know. Maybe it could be the head coach. Feels like it's not that. So it's varying levels, Ashley, and various things. But I think a blanket statement of the Browns are poorly coached is fair. What do you think? So I think we can complain about the coaching, but I also want to complain about how this team is built, which like I'm not going to relitigate this whole thing because it's going to be a lot of the same stuff I argued last week especially with the defense but like and the loss before that and the loss before that and the loss before that we could just rerun the podcast they lose the same every week so like where i'm going to especially come complain or criticize the coaching is that you should know what you have more like and know how to use it that that to me is like like i don't know i think there are two really good solid coaches on this staff that I think most people would agree with. And I think it's Bill Callahan and I think it's Stump Mitchell. And I think those are the guys who people think of when they think of this team. 
I think what they do with those units is great. But there are, I think, a lot of areas on this team where you're just not maximizing the players that you have or putting them in a position to be successful. Um, special teams has been bad all year. They're, they were actually bad last year, too. Like, it's it's not getting any better. Um, and some of that, again, like, you finally get your kicker, okay, you get a returner, he hurts and is out for the year, you still have no backup plan and nobody else on this team who can really return. You maybe got lucky and found something in Jerome Ford. Great. But all the stupid mistakes, like too many men on the field, missed blocks, blocked kicks, all that stuff is just bad. And it's not getting any better, and I don't get it. Um, Joe Woods and, and the defense, I mean, I, I get the criticism of him, right? He even came out this week and said he understands a lot of the criticism of him. I do wonder, kind of like what Mary Kay was saying, if if players are, you know, maybe hinting at certain things in, in regards to Joe Woods um, or, or the system, if they're not understanding the system or buying into the system or whatever. Like, I think that's fair to criticize, but I also think it's fair to criticize that, hey, this front office has decided it doesn't need to prioritize defensive tackles and it doesn't really need to like prioritize linebacker that much. And they're going to try to skate by in that way. And it just hasn't worked. And it's become like a simple recipe to beat this team. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, I think my complaint about the offense this year is kind of similar to last year. Like the offense looks different from last year, but my big complaints are still the same in that, like you said, Doug, it just feels like predictable and not creative. And that's what it felt like last year, except last year was a lot of 13 personnel and five and six yard passes to tight ends. Like we're not seeing that as much this year, but when they're in these games, I like do not have confidence that we are going to get some big play calls, some splashy play calls that are going to be successful. Like more likely it's going to be Amari Cooper throwing an interception for some reason. It's going to be that brand if we get them at all. Dan, you want to come sleep on my blanket? The Browns are poor. Ooh, it's nice and warm under here. Come on, Dan. Come on in. What do you think? Uh, I I mean, the play on the field is reflective of the coaching. I think the special teams thing is, I mean, the, the prime example. The special teams are awful today. And had they not just stumbled into this concept of Jerome Ford being a competent kick returner, which, by the way, that's the easiest piece of special teams for another side to just work around. I mean, they just started kicking the ball out of the end zone, right? So Jerome Ford was basically a moot point after a few returns. The special teams are terrible, and they've been terrible all year. And Joe Woods gets a ton of heat, but, you know, Mike Prefer should be, I don't know, giving him flowers or giving him a thank you card every day for for taking the attention off of him because he, he's been brutal. And I, I think he's a guy that probably has to be gone after this year. At some point, you do have to talk about this team honestly. And I think we get caught up sometimes in what this team is on paper. But the reality is they've lost one, two, three, four, five. They've lost six of their last seven. They lost last week by 22. They should have lost this week by 20. But they they scored those garbage time points. They lost to the Patriots by 23. That was a few weeks ago. They've been outscored 70 to 40 coming back from their buy. And again, that's the 40 is because of those garbage time points today. At some point, that has to reflect on the coaching. This team hasn't won two games in a row in the same season since week four of last year. The only time they've won two games in a row, back-to-back games, was the finale of last year and the opener this year. 
at some point this team kind of is who they are and the the coaches have to own that and they and they have to wear that and you can't just point your finger and say well they don't have Deshaun Watson. So yeah, I I think there are saying it's a poorly coached team doesn't mean everybody has to be fired. Maybe you disagree with that, Doug, I don't know. But there are there are areas where this team has been poorly coached and they're going to have to make some hard decisions. It starts with special teams and defense. Go ahead, Ashley. I was going to say, like, when Dan said that, you know, about Deshaun Watson's not going to fix anything, everything necessarily, it kind of reminded me of this, you know, what I said a few weeks ago, that this team for weeks now to me has felt like its identity is waiting for Deshaun Watson. And where they are at three and seven, I think it's very fitting that we're to a point that their playoff postseason hopes have essentially evaporated. Like they're not mathematically eliminated, but like you're probably not coming back from three and seven, right? Like they have a 4% chance or something to win the last seven games and make the playoffs. It's very fitting to me that like, that's essentially what this season, that's going to be the big point of this season at the end of the day is seeing what this all looks like around Sean Watson for the last six games. It basically becomes an extended like, preseason that you know we'll we'll go a few months without seeing them and then we'll see it all again and like it that is what it is like we talked about how important it was for this not to become a lost season given these other guys in their prime but it has become that like I I, I'm just at that point it's it's just very fitting that we're to this point because they they wanted to play the long game well congratulations you got it and this season was you know oh is is turning out to be what our biggest fear was I think coming into it so I'm not, I'm not calling specifically for people's jobs, but there's no way this staff can come back the same way next year. And of course, there's going to be multiple, multiple changes. Obviously, they can't come back the same way. I think there's a real question just how they go about it, like how you do things. What's the structure of practice? What's the structure of meetings? What's the tone in the building? Like this is a failure. And I'm, this is kind of a cliched thing to use, but coaching matters. And the Colts got sick, I think, of what Frank Reich was doing. They and 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 uh, that Ursay guy got all riled up, and they fired the offensive coordinator first, and then a couple weeks later, they fired Frank Reich, and they brought in a guy who I think was just I don't know, like a podcast host. I don't even know who that guy is. No, I know he played for the Colts, but they won their first game, and the, the Colts really competed with the Eagles on Sunday, like competed hard down to the wire with all the same players. And it's just like how you go about it. So it's even like, well, you can change all the assistants, but like, what if the whole thing is wrong? And Mary Kay has been always very strong on this. Like the, the whole thing with Freddie Kitchens was wrong. It was unorganized. It was chaotic. Nobody knew what was going on. It was wrong. By the end with Hugh Jackson, like everybody was playing the blame game and there's infighting and like it was wrong. You can't save it by shuffling around a couple assistant coaches, you know, to do a little college example. There were a lot of questions about Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. He changed basically the entire assistant coaching staff before last season. And they've been awesome since then. Jim Harbaugh wasn't wrong. He just needed different people around him, but that's it wasn't a great example, Doug. Like if somebody who was there for that, that's a yeah. great that's a great example. Like Don Brown was like, came in as this highly lauded person there. And yes. it, he was garbage. Like at the end of the day, those defenses were trash when it mattered. You needed a better scheme, but it wasn't yeah. a fundamental cultural thing. 
I am getting to the point with Kevin Stefanski because I was like Googling stuff like Kevin Stefanski, coaching, whatever. And I wrote last November, I think when they lost to the Ravens, when I defended Lamar Jackson really well and couldn't do anything offensively, I wrote then. I was like, I don't know about this Kevin Stefanski guy. So it's been a year of that because they leaked all the way through the end of last season. It was all Baker Mayfield's fault. Certainly part of it was. But like, here they are again. And that's where I'm getting, Dan. And that doesn't mean that you have to fire Kevin Stefanski. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm not so sure this is a, well, you get rid rid of Mike Prefer and you bring in. I'm not so sure it's not like fundamental, foundational. Kevin, you're good. But we're changing everything around you and you need to change how you go about it. Because maybe you're still the right guy, but your first swing at how you do this, Dan, here in year three, I don't think this is it. So that, like, that's how bad this has gone in the 11 games with one more left without Deshaun Watson. I'm questioning the entire foundational principle of the head coach, which is different than saying he should be fired. But I think it really might be wrong. Yeah, and, and I think... I think we're going to have to be careful too when they do get to December and then this is probably another topic, but we got to be real careful with what we watch in December and, and making long-term like, Oh, everything's fixed judgments. I remember Eric Mangini one year won like four games in a row to end the season. And everybody's like, all right, Browns are fixed. Eric Mangini's the guy. And then they went like one and nine to start the next year. So, you know, I don't know if we're going to get those answers necessarily this year, but yeah, Kevin needs to take a hard look at how he's done everything, a hard look at everything in the building. And I think for us, we've got to make sure we're judging him by the standard he needs to be judged by. And that is a team that went out and got a quarterback that you brought in because you're ready to win the Super Bowl. I'm, I'll make, so you made the Michigan point. I'll, I'll make an Ohio State point. Ryan Day, right? Great coach. Thought of as one of the best play callers in football. If they lose next week to Michigan, I'm not saying people are going to be calling for Ryan Day's job, but there's going to be a lot of questions about Ryan Day, right? Fair or not. At some point, at some point we've got to start holding Kevin Stefanski to that standard because this team believed they were ready to win Super Bowls. And right now they don't look anywhere close to, to a team that can go win Super Bowls. And I, and I do think Irie, you, you do have to judge coaches by what they have available to them, right? So you do have to take into consideration that Baker Mayfield was injured last year. And you, of course you have to take into consideration that Deshaun Watson isn't here for the first 11 games. But I, again, I'm back to Hugh Jackson. I'm back to Hugh Jackson. It's not that he went, you know, nobody thought it was a good roster, but it wasn't a one in 31 roster. You know, it should have been like, they should have won like six or eight games, right? And he took a bad situation and made it worse. And I do think, Irie, it is fair to judge Kevin Stefanski on, this is a difficult situation to have your starting quarterback who's never played for you yet with with off-field allegations that are very serious be suspended for 11 games. That is a very difficult thing to navigate. And judging him just on that, Irie, he has navigated it very poorly. They stink. They lost a bunch of close games early. Now they're getting blown out by good teams. That, that's the standard, I think, Irie. It's not just that, you know, it's not like, oh, well, what's he supposed to do? It's like, well, you're supposed to be more competitive than this. That was the other part of this, Irie. I think the football is boring because it's the same old thing. After the first, what? I mean, like they competed until, until halftime. They didn't compete in the second half. 
right? They held Buffalo to some field goals in the red zone, but it wasn't a game at the end. I think by whatever standard you're judging Kevin Stefanski, he's he's below the expectations of the situation, taking the Deshaun Watson thing very much into account. Yeah, Doug, this season has been like a, a Netflix series, except instead of expecting a new episode, it's the same episode each time. That's what that's what it really feels like. And when you expect the protagonist or whoever the lead character for this, in this case, with question Stefanski, for there to be something different, it's the same thing, the same decisions, the same implied mindset each episode, each time. It it definitely is to the point where we have to hold them to that standard of, wait a minute, when you look at the past coaches who have had on paper worse rosters, not as good a talent as you have, or even some of the same guys on this roster that were still young or developing, and they've won more games. I mean, you talk about Baker from the outside looking in, or at least for me in this case, it was like he got ran out of town and he was the reason for the Browns' losses and, you know, terrible season losses. And now, Current team is on the Panthers, where he's not even a full guaranteed starter, and the Browns have the same amount of wins. Three. They have three wins. Not to not to stir up a hornet's nest. No, no, no. Look, but, talk to me. But but what would what's the difference between Baker Mayfield's decent? He's pretty good. But we don't think he's a Super Bowl quarterback, and a Super Bowl quarterback is on the market. And we are doing whatever we have to do to get him, which is trade every draft pick we have and guarantee him $230 million. What is the difference between that and saying, Kevin Stefanski's good, but he's not a Super Bowl coach and Sean Payton's on the market and we are going to do whatever it takes to get a Super Bowl coach with a Super Bowl ready team. What is the difference if this is the SAT, right? Baker Mayfield equals Kevin Stefanski. Deshaun Watson equals Sean Payton. Where it, it's even a Sean and a Sean. This one has a duh. Where does that equation fall apart? Because it's not that Baker. It's not that Baker Mayfield couldn't play for anybody, right? He's still in the league, but he wasn't good enough for their aspirations here. Why are we assuming that Kevin Stefanski is good enough for their aspirations? Who wants to do the SAT with me? I'm not going to brag. I got a pretty high score. You don't get to be a podcast host without a high SAT score. I, well, I went to Kent State. I think they let anybody into Kent State. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's the most frustrating part of this season is I think you're going to get to the end of it and you're not going to know 100% about Kevin. And hopefully we'll feel good about some things after he, we get to see what this looks like with Deshaun Watson against, you know, really, look, they got the Texans, they got the Commanders, although the Commanders are playing pretty well. Uh, they got the Steelers. They've got the Saints, who are, aren't going to want anything to do with being in Cleveland Christmas weekend. They've got some games where they can show off a little and maybe show us what this will look like. But I think it's frustrating that we won't know about Kevin Stefanski. You mentioned Sean Payton. The problem the Browns have is they don't have the draft capital to give up to go get Sean Payton or someone like that. But they they should be they should be keeping their options open if that caliber of coach maybe becomes available to them. I I wouldn't be opposed. Can I ask you a question, Doug? Yeah. I'm watching the Thursday night game between the Titans and the Packers. 
And the Titans just kind of win games. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird. And they, they just sort of win. They had two games where they basically didn't have a quarterback. And they won one and they almost beat the Chiefs in another one. How many wins does this team have with Mike Vrabel? I think they're at least, I think they have at least five and, and maybe six, which, which again, like is exactly, that's, that's exactly the point, right? Winnable games. And I think they compete harder in a couple and they like these last three blowout losses because he just would have conjured up something different for that specific game. Well, you know what? Mike Vrabel is not. If you tried to put Mike Vrabel in a self-driving car, he would rip the wiring out with his bare hands, punch through the windshield, rip the roof off the car and turn it into a pickup truck and say, I'm driving this. There's there's no way that Mike Vrabel, there's no way Mike Vrabel isn't afraid of robots. At the yeah. very least, I was going to say Mike Vrabel probably tells, at the very least, you got to give Mike Vrabel four wins because he probably tells Nick Chubb to go down at the one in that Jets yeah. game. Right? And, like, at the very it's least, not like, that's the very least. Yeah, it's not that Mike Vrabel is like a, oh, like a football guy. Like It's that Mike Vrabel is like a really smart coach who adapts to situations and adapts to personnel and finds a way. And by the way, they lost Derrick Henry for a chunk of last year and they were the one seed anyway, right? Isn't that, wasn't that the thing, right? I mean, like he, that's what Mike Vrabel does. And here's the thing. I just spent, I was a little bit worried, Dan, that I wasn't, I was only half paying attention to your question because I was really workshopping Kevin Stefabiski. I was trying to fit maybe in the middle of his name, like Baker maybe field. Like the idea that like we, it didn't get to the point that Baker Mayfield was a no because he was a maybe and his arm fell off while he was a maybe. And they didn't wait to find out. They didn't wait for the but, fifth year. So find, they punted him while he's a maybe. So it's not that Kevin Stefanski's a no, but what if they punted the coach while he's a maybe? Go ahead. I was going to say, like, I, I almost wonder if this question is kind of creating a logical fallacy almost, Doug. Like, I don't know if you ever had to do, like, logic questions. And, like, I don't know. I was in the gifted program, not to brag or anything. Okay. But All right. Did. So I bring up my SAT scores and you've got to trump me. I get it. Oh. We, so, did, well, we, well, didn't, saying, we didn't make it to fallacies at Kent State. I mean, lost. <laughs> Sorry, the John Carroll curriculum lost you there, Dan. Not that it's – never mind. Anyways, I'm not here to relitigate my college career. But, like, my point being with Baker, I think when these when this regime came in, like, Baker was obviously not their guy, right? Like, he was very much – Mary Kay just wrote a whole thing about John Dorsey and Josh Allen and that draft and, and, and Baker Mayfield, all of that. Like – that's who John Dorsey wanted. Like he, he wanted that attitude. Of course, Mary Kate did her awesome like recap of that on this podcast last week. But I think these guys, when they got in, they saw things with Baker that, you know, even in the good year, even in the playoff year, like they, they make it to the playoffs. Okay. But there are certain limitations that you just know Baker Mayfield has his size his speed. And I think as soon as teams figured out how to stop those boots and rollouts, like we, we kind of saw the issues and like him not being able to see over the line and getting all these passes batted down. I don't think like, like for Kevin Stefanski, I think now you're to the point where like, okay, this is the guy you thought was your coach. And now you have his quarterback and the quarterback you think he can coach. And I think you got to figure that out now. But I think you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And with Baker, you you did have all the pieces of the puzzle. You saw him play when he wasn't hurt, and and they probably had some preconceived notions about that. But Kevin, I think they they haven't gotten the full piece 
of what this offense is going to look like with Deshaun. And now you kind of, I, I, I'm still like kind of banging that drum. You have to wait before you're going to do any drastic decisions like that. I think it's, it's kind of like a college coach where it's like, well, you got to let him coach this recruiting class. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you got to let him, you got to let those recruits be sophomores because whatever. And that's all of a sudden it's like, well, those were three crappy years because we really wanted to see what would year three be. And so uh, it can be dangerous territory. I think, you, I think those are well-taken points, Ashley. I also think it would be a fallacy if I'm using that word correctly to <laughs> act like Kevin Stefanski doesn't also doesn't have shortcomings that are similar right. to and not being able to does. see over the line and getting pat. I mean, he does too. I mean, I think he has some, like, we, we talked about it, right? It's like this perceived, like, this lack of creativity, maybe being set in his ways a little bit too much um, and, and not putting players in their best position. But I do think, like, you do got to see what this looks like with Deshaun. And I'm just saying, right? Sean McVay is like, I am tired of this L.A. scene. I practically retired to do TV. And I've heard great things. Great things great about Cleveland. I would like to make a life there. Right? And then, all right, well, Kev, you've been pretty good, but we got this guy over here. He he grabs his steering wheel. So that's all I'm saying. It's like you you we we had a we spent a year on a maybe quarterback who by the way had helped them get to the playoffs. And I do think we at the you know Maybe it's not a fire the head coach. It's not. I'm not. Never have I said fire Kevin Stefanski, but he is a hard maybe for me. Hard maybe. Is that would you be a hard maybe or a soft maybe? He's a soft maybe for me. It is a. It is definitely not a yes. And he's been because Baker once upon a time was a yes, and then he leaked from maybe to no. And Kevin, Kevin Stefanski is leaking baby. So he's clearly in maybe land. And yes, you have to let him. Sit. But what if they look funky with Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson for six games? You got to give them next year. Well, then you got to give them next year. But what if someone gets injured next year? That's what I'm saying. Like I, I think Ashley makes a good point. Irie, do you want Sean Payton? <laughs> Irie, do you want Sean Payton to be the coach of the Browns? That's what I'm asking. Like, is this? I, I, I'm not trying to fire anybody, but is this any kind of a logical comparison? Can you see at least where I'm coming from? Yes, I, I understand definitely where you're coming from. But right now, and just two quick things off the bat regarding a culture that was to happen, putting aside the the name, let's just get somebody that we know is actually going to put, you know, going to light a fire under these guys. You know, that's first and and foremost, somebody that I actually want to see showing emotion because I don't know if they're just a robot like Kawhi Leonard and they're just going A minus extra plus B, just waiting for the next thing to happen. Now, I, I will say this, though. Uh, while not trying to fully lose my uh, thought, okay, which, well, okay, well, that just went away. But, yes, going on with that, uh, I do feel that Stefanski, when it comes to Watson, that's going to be his, in a way, tryout. And honestly, just right now from how I feel, if he wants to be for sure good in this position, in this spot, for the next season, he has to win out no less with Watson, because then that will imply. See, I told you I will be, be good with Watson. I just had my, you know, the backup quarterback and you know, I did guys and stuff. And then it's gonna be like, oh well, look at how how happy these guys are. The chemistry of the Watson around. That's what has to happen for him to fully be guaranteed in the spot. Anything less of seven of seven and no, maybe even six and one, to where mathematically they're still within those playoff hopes. Anything less than that. 
I, I I don't see how he comes back after that. Or it's a hard maybe at that. So I do think in the, in the end, I think we have to keep in mind the Browns have three wins and Dan is at seven losses. Is that right? Seven losses for the Cleveland Browns? Seven, right? Yeah, seven? Seven. Their three wins came against two starting quarterbacks who eventually lost their jobs. Baker Mayfield right, got hurt, and then P.J. Walker took over, and they were like, ah, we'll stay with P.J. Walker. And then P.J. Walker got hurt. So Baker Mayfield basically got benched. They beat him. They beat Mitch Trubisky. He got benched for Kenny Pickett. And then they beat the guy they always beat who didn't have his number one receiver, and the Bengals lost their number one cornerback early in that game and had to play a rookie who had never played before. And they forgot about Joe Mixon, who ran for five touchdowns the next time they got on the field. Those are their three wins. So like any like real like like right I mean the Bengals win is still good but that's one good win the whole year, and when you think Dan you think about the Cavs and JB Bickerstaff, right the Cavs are talented that guy gets the most out of that team, the Guardians they have some good players Terry Francona from the jump has gotten the most out of that team, it's not an impossible ask. Maybe it's not Sean Payton. Maybe it's not Sean McVay. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's not even a guy named Sean. Maybe it doesn't have to be a guy named Sean. Just your quarterback has Sean in his name. But I don't know why the Browns have to like tread water with maybe and give a guy six years because, well, he's had this and that, whatever. I'm not. And the problem with the Browns, Dan, over time has been itchy, right? Too quick on the trigger finger. But then all of a sudden, then you get trapped. Oh, we don't want to be too quick. Then you're too slow. I'm just saying, I think he's solidly in Maybeville. And at some point, Kevin Stefanski has to make this team better. And I don't think he's done it for the last two years. And and I think all of that's fair. I, I think all of it is fair to say we don't know about Kevin Stefanski. I think there's people that get sensitive about that, much like people got sensitive with Baker. When it was like, well, this, this quarterback took you to the playoffs and won a playoff game. And you can't move on from him. Well, you could. Same with this head coach who took you to the playoffs and won a playoff game. If he's not the guy, you got to move on because you're all in. And that doesn't mean you have to move on now. It doesn't mean you have to move on in January. This could be a discussion we have next January. But, right, right. You know, there, yes, he's got to prove he is the right guy to lead this team to the Super Bowl, just like those other examples, right? JB Bickerstaff. If two years from now, the Cavs are just kind of spinning their wheels and losing in the second round, guess what, buddy? It's winning time. You got to go win a championship, and you're showing us you're not the guy. There, You always have to prove it as a head coach, always. And Kevin is certainly not exempt from that. Okay. Sean Payton, if you're listening, if your agent's listening, hey, you know, just saying, maybe you want to give the Haslam's a call. Couldn't hurt. Um, read Cleveland.com. Slash Browns, great coverage of a of a, a bad football team right now. But sometimes bad football makes for great stories. That's a, that is an absolute truth. Sometimes it's hard to write about good teams that are kind of like, eh. But like if, if you got something to say about a team that's struggling, whoo, pros, man, it can be great. Go read it. Thank you so much for making the Orange Brown Talk podcast part of your Browns fandom. We know it's been a frustrating year. We hope we help. I don't know if help's the right word. Uh, we hope we help uh, speak out loud your frustrations. So we did it one more time after this. Again, loss for the Cleveland Browns. They fall to three and seven. For Mary Kay Cabot, Irie Harris, Ashley Bastock, and Dan Lobby, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. <laughs>